Hello, aviators. This is Pilot Jim G coming to you once again live from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, home of AirVenture 2016. This is the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast, episode 409, Charlie, for Tuesday, August, no, Tuesday, July 26th, 2016. Yeah, don't, 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 don't wish your life away. No, no, I don't want to go that far into the future. Time spent flying is not reflected in your lifespan, but we don't want to give up anything either. Exactly. The heat's getting to us. It's a pleasure to be here with uh, three of our UCAP friends, Dave Higdon, Jeb Burnside, who we've heard on the dailies this week. But today we have another of our uh, UCAP friends who doesn't often appear, but he appeared today. Jeff Ward, who keeps our show notes in good shape and otherwise inspires greatness in the UCAP team, is here with us. And he's recording both video and audio. And uh, the, 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 the video no, too. Just just stills today. <laughs> just stills, he says. So, Jeb, how's it going this morning so far? Hot and sweaty, um, but it's been a good show. It's been a good day. Uh, started the day with a uh, uh, breakfast press conference with uh, Aspen Avionics. Uh, been roaming around, uh, making. Who left? It? Who left his phone on? <laughs> You left the phone. <laughs> you left the phone. Um, and roaming around, checking in with some people, some people I haven't seen in a couple of years, um, and uh, making some new friends. And and uh, that's that's and it's only eleven o'clock. So uh, it's been a good day so far. I'm looking for a great afternoon. I got a couple more appointments to make. Here I go. Sounds great. You both missed a really great presentation this morning at 8.30. I don't know. <laughs> Dave, I thought you were going to be there to heckle me. Well, like Jeb said, had a little breakfast work this morning. I've uh, stopped and uh, gotten a couple of interviews out of the way for the projects I'm working on. And uh, the day's off and running. Had a great time last night at a little on-field event. It's always nice to be able to walk from the house to the party and back to the house. Uh, and not get onto public roads for any reason. Uh, so we pulled that off, and we're looking forward to more of the same today. Sounds great. I've got some vendors I want to see. I've got actually a shopping list. I've got to pick up a new oil pressure sensor because uh, I don't know if you heard about my magic oil pressure sitting in the hangar with the airplane shut down. I've got 50 psi. That's such a tight engine you have. It's like magic. Yes. I've got magic oil pressure. Dave, who's this uh, nice-looking guy sitting to my left? Uh, somebody you know? Well, I uh, met this gentleman yesterday. Uh, he is the uh, president and chief executive officer of the Canadian Owners and Pilots Association, or is it Canada's Owner and Pilots Canadian. Association? Uh, Bernard Gervais is with us. Uh, we invited him on because uh, a, a mutual friend uh, mentioned to us that uh, there's some interesting quirks that uh, American pilots not might not be aware of if they decide to take advantage of the uh, change in the third-class medical rules that uh, Congress just passed and the president just signed into law. So uh, we're going to ask some questions of Bernard here, talk a little bit about flying in Canada, ADSB, and uh, the show in general. So. Bernard Gervais, welcome to Uncontrolled Airspace. Thank you. It's a pleasure and it's an honor because I will say that I've been a fan for the last 10 years since you guys have been on. I've, um, I'm always anxiously waiting for a next podcast. Sometimes you take a too, too long. Uh, you hear that, Jack? 
<laughs> so I'm just looking for the podcast when it's coming out because um, it's you, you're, you're sort of a, a reference to what's happening in GA. Um, I know it's usually concentrated on U.S. stuff, but you're still a reference. You guys know your stuff, and it's just wonderful. You're like the monthly magazine, but it's a podcast, so it's just wonderful. I'm a fan, big fan. Thank you. And we appreciate that. Uh, it's, it's always baffling sometimes to try to figure out why people waste hard drive space and bandwidth, but uh, it's comforting to know that we're not just talking into the ether out there. So, Bernard, uh, United States here within a, uh, another 11 and a half months is going to have a change in the uh, FARs for private pilots that will let them fly without a medical certificate if uh, they've had one within the last 10 years and they meet certain other requirements. But uh, we've been aware all along, but didn't think much about it, that uh, literally that's not going to fly outside the United States with some countries. So uh, give us the insights from across the border. Just across the border, we've been following this obviously for as long as I mean, we read and we know what's happening south of the border. And Transport Canada, which is the our civil aviation authority, uh, knows what's going on. But there's no, um, I mean, it's an in, it, there's an international boundary between our countries. So it ICAO prevails. It's the ICAO medicals that prevail, and wh- whatever happens in the states will stay in the states if it's not an ICAO category medical. So you will need to have your class three. TPL medical to uh, to cross the border to fly into Canada. You will still need that. We have in Canada something different called a Category Four medical. That's for the recreational pilots and um, people. It's similar to what the Class Three medical will be, though the Class Three I think gives a lot more. Uh, you can go up to carry up to five passengers. You can still do up to eighteen thousand uh, IFR VFR. You can do that. Uh, but in Category Four, what we have is slightly different. It's one passenger, day VFR, no international because it's not IKO, uh, recognized by IKO, and it's the same with the Class 3 medical. I was just uh, this weekend at, because uh, I know many countries are trying to get something similar going, but it's fairly hard with all the regulators. The U.S. is, is, is different in that sense. that It's passed, it's done, but it would be an, on, it would be an individual um, lobbying effort for each country to do that to get something similar in their country and we're not we're not pushing for that yet in Canada because we have something called a category 4 that satisfies suffices our our pilots right now so if you do come to want to come to Canada you have to have your class your class 3 IKO recognized your class 4 sounds a lot like uh, our sport pilot certification can you compare the two for me I don't know exactly what you've got for the, the sport pilot but it's really day VFR national only one passenger uh, non high performance airplane that could be a type certified airplane it could be anything but that's what you can do that sounds very much like what our sport pilots can do yeah could uh, could I as a US citizen get a Canadian uh, fourth class four whatever can I qualify category 4 medical I would think if you get an equivalent um, transport Canada license don't hold me to this but I'm pretty sure you can get that because you can get an equivalent license Canadian license and uh, therefore a medical of some type would you see any urgency on the part of transport Canada to finding some way to either uh, exempt the exemption or um, change their own rules in some fashion to comport 
and allow uh, U.S. pilots taking advantage of the third class exemption to operate in Canada? Is there any, is there any momentum, any interest on the part of Transport Canada in doing something like that? At this point, no. It's only, it's only since it's been passed into law last Friday, I think it was signed by uh, President Obama, uh, we've had people writing to us, COPA, because we are the lobbying group that could do something. Uh, we've uh, touched base with Transport and they're saying, well, I think we're, we're doing all right with our Category 4. There's no urgency. Now, it, if we can always bring up a business case saying tourism, money brought into the country, and then we can try and get a reciprocal from our Category 4 into the, into the States. That could be an avenue that we can explore with, uh, I could work with AOPA US and AOPA with us, so let's, can we do something reciprocal? I think we can eventually, but no, there's no urgency at this point. We don't see one, and I don't think transport has been uh, flooded with calls by American or U.S. pilots, because most U.S. pilots that have flown across the border know that they need an ICAO-recognized medical. The United States has kind of taken a, a different track toward the uh, ICAO standards for ADSB by creating a second, ca second category of ADSB out. The world standard is 1090 megahertz extended squitter. The United States also has this 978 megahertz that was supposed to be less expensive, and it's also the frequency that ADSBN is broadcast out uh, to the, uh, the participating aircraft. But that's ADSB compliance is kind of just the opposite. It's not something American pilots have to worry about crossing the border into Canada, is it? Nope. No, because we've got no ADSB. So there, there, there will, and there will not be any because we're not going to put ground stations there. What's coming up? What's going up there are Iridium satellites, and we will be using satellite-based ADSB, and that's 1090 with an antenna pointing to the to the sky. Um, there is no desire to do anything ground-based. No 978, nothing. Uh, it will be 1090, and it will be pointing to the sky. Eventually, I'm thinking that we can use this with GA. It could be done with GA and it could replace, I don't know if you're still aware or you know the issue of the 406 megahertz ELTs, we're still required and it, it may come into, it may, there may be a ruling that we will have to have 406. I think having ADSB, space-based ADSB may be an option instead of 406 megahertz ELTs. I mean, the last known position, it was broadcast to the satellite, so that's a possibility. There's, there's a move toward uh, setting up satellite-based ADSB for the entire world. Right? Yes. It, it's been, uh, it, it's been uh, catalyzed a little bit by the uh, uh, Malaysian aircraft disappearance, the French aircraft that went missing for two years. Uh, and it looks like that, that, that'll work really well for overwater coverage. And so will eventually Canadian pilots and American pilots flying over be required to have something compatible with that space-based system? GA, I couldn't couldn't say. I think we're, it would be um, we're not going over water right now. There's ADSB in Canada for over the James Bay and Hudson's Bay portion, and uh, going to Greenland also. There's ADSB there to uh, for the the uh, high high level flights. Lower level, I don't think so. There there wouldn't be anything about ADSB for now. Uh, GA, uh, I mean not across the country. No, for the ADSB, no. So tell us a little bit about COPA, uh, membership, uh, how long you've been around, uh, kind of a general description because most of our guys, we know we got listeners in Canada and we appreciate that, 
Uh, the fact that they can even understand our accents is quite American. Uh, but uh, tell us about COPA, how long it's been out uh, in, in existence, membership, uh, and kind of a quick primer for our listeners. COPA, uh, COPA started in 1952, uh, based in Ottawa. Um, again, at that time, they were relying on AOPA a little bit, saying maybe we could, uh, you, guys, you guys were having problems and we, some, we need some lobbying effort, how do we do this? Got, uh, got some help from the AOPA US and then it, it was decided to call it the Canadian Owners and Pilots Association so, and that was 1952 out of a basement someplace somewhere. Um, move forward 64 years, we've got 17,000 members uh, across the country uh, out of a potential population, about 60,000 pilots, licensed pilots in Canada, 30,000 GA aircraft, uh, so 17,000 members. Uh, we, we were almost at 50% of all the pilot population that we can reach to, the private and commercial pilots. So we, we're doing some, uh, we've got 15 directors across the country taking care of different provinces, and we have a monthly magazine called Copa Flight. Um, that just came out when right, new magazine format came out the la last June. Uh, we've got a spokesperson in the name of Chris Hadfield, so people know of him, a famous astronaut. And um, we were the national voice and national organization. We are also part of one of the 75 or 76 member states uh, sitting at ICAO for the general aviation portion. So we are part of the international AOPAs. Um, and just this weekend we have our um, biannual meeting in Chicago with Mark Baker and all the other presidents from the different AOPAs of the world. So we're one of these 75 and 76 and we do have a seat at ICAO um, for the GA people. You guys have an amazingly diverse operating environment up there. Uh, what's the, uh, where's the largest concentration of general aviation aircraft in the country? Um, GA, uh, our membership, I will say, is southwestern Ontario, where there's the it's the that's a the density population density that's the highest in the country, but we do have GA GA operating even near the Arctic Circle and the bush planes and this, uh, the outfitters and all that. GA is really all across the country, but uh, the the, the uh, most popular would be southwestern Ontario, Quebec, fairly popular also with all the lakes and all the um, uh, the outfits out there very big GA portion. It's a, an amazing place to fly. I've been lucky enough to fly a little bit up there years ago when uh, uh, Downsview, Ontario was still headquarters for de Havilland and uh, uh, they, made, they made such remarkable aircraft that and you see so many of them still operating in the bush and, and, and up in uh, Alaska and uh, every time I see a de Havilland airplane, the first thing I flash on is, uh, is Canada and Toronto. But you mentioned that Ottawa is where your headquarters is, and I, I know more than one American who thinks that Toronto is the capital of Canada, <laughs> but uh, Ottawa is really where the capital is yes. and the Parliament meets. Yes, we, we, our offices are right next to the Parliament, and so are the other organizations, the national ones like uh, the Canadian Business Aviation Association, CBAA. Uh, the Helicopter Association of Canada, all these other uh, alphabet groups, as you guys call them, most of them are in Ottawa. So that when we get together and we, we do some lobbying or talk to Transport uh, or Nav Canada, uh, that's when we can uh, we're close to them. 
When, when I visit, when anyone visits Toronto and you visit the waterfront, you can see quite a bit of GA activity in and out of, uh, is it City Island Airport? Billy Bishop, uh, yeah, the Billy Bishop Airport, yeah. And uh, so that's a nice advertisement that you have. Uh, we have we have lost some of our waterfront airports in the Chicago. States, and that's a nice one to see still operating and still busy there. It is, but it's not. Uh, I'll measure my words. It's not really GA friendly. Uh, mm -hmm. These are because it's such a busy airport. Rather than going to the bigger one, Pearson, that's a it's it's a very accommodating airport. You take a cab, you're right downtown. That's it. So it's really busy with all. There's Air Canada going there, Porter. Going in there yeah, right? Porter. Yeah. Okay. So they're going there, and they take up all the slots. Okay. My information may be old. I remember a day when it was mostly GA there. I, not all the slots, but many of the slots. Though, uh, the, the people running the airport are GA friendly, but there's a business to be run. And right. so, yeah. Did they, did they ever cut out the world's shortest ferry ride and build a bridge to Toronto Island? <laughs> they built a tunnel. They, built, they got a tunnel. <laughs> Obviously, your COPA has uh, uh, an exhibit, uh, a presence here at AirVenture. You've got a nice big tent over in the international area. How's the show going for you and for COPA? I will rectify that. We, we, we're with EAA Canada. Where we're, sitting, we're sort of sharing space, uh, and they're nice enough to let us sit there. Uh, but the show is going great. We're having a Canadian cookout this evening. All the Canadian pilots and friends just hop over and uh, there's going to be a Canadian cookout. I think hot dogs will be a dollar for Canadians and five dollars for uh, all the other ones. <laughs> That's only fair. <laughs> Something like that. That's a hell of an exchange rate. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're getting back at you guys. And um, so As we're doing... well you should. <laughs> so that's the Canadian cookout. Uh, we've got plenty of Canadian registered aircraft you will see around the grounds. It's so easy and it, we're just across the border really, so it's uh, it's a great show. This is my second year only at Oshkosh and uh, obviously I'll be coming back for this wonderful show. And the Snowbirds will be here also. Is, is there anything that surprises you yet or anything that surprised you about this show or something you saw? The sheer size of it. Last year I was just like, oh my goodness. Um, we have fly-ins, we have our conventions, we have different things, but this is just like very, well, how, there's, there's no word for it really. It's just the biggest show on earth, the aviation show on earth. I was just uh, impressed by that. Too big. Is it tough getting back and forth across the border? Uh, I mean, it used to be so easy to get in and out of the United States and then 2001 came along and 9-11 and things tightened up a whole lot to the point where we couldn't even fly here for a few days and I've wondered about the uh, EAPIS system from the other side of the border's perspective. We, we don't have one in Canada. They were going to do, make one for uh, general aviation. We don't have one yet. But yes, it did make things a little more complicated. Uh, some of our pilots were a little annoyed at that. And how do we complete that? How do we do this? You have to file on internet or through, can't do this by phone. But if you're on a lake someplace somewhere with your bush plane, uh, there's no internet. How do you go about doing that? So it was a pain. We got used to it. I think a lot less people are traveling to the States and they're gonna find destinations and finding them within the country, within Canada. And uh, it was a little painful at first. But those that got used to it, got used to it and they're still traveling, but it, it cooled some off. Like the first timers or the ones that wanted to try this probably did not go about doing it 
and they stopped or they, they withheld from coming to the States. I, one anecdote, though, about EAPS, EAPS and, and the cross-border thing. Last, um, I'll just touch on the collaboration between COPA and AOPA. Mid-December, there was um, TSA got something, got a no-time out saying that every aircraft, no matter what aircraft, overflying U.S. airspace had to have all the passengers approved or uh, pre-approved or screened by TSA. No matter what, so if it was takeoff in Canada, land in Canada, you had to have the, the, all the passengers on board pre-approved, even GA. But that so that complicated things quite a bit for us. When you go from Vancouver to Victoria, BC, you're overflying U.S. airspace. Uh, in Abbotsford, people on flight training, the downwind to um, runway 25 is over U.S. airspace. So that meant all the students would have had to get some pre-approval from TSA going from Eastern Canada to the Maritimes, you'd overfly Maine. So that it was just impossible. And businesses, some of the businesses had to be rerouted not to overfly U.S. airspace while this no time was in force. So we worked with AOPA and they got back, they got through the TSA and we worked something out and the no time was uh, just, it got back to where it was the way before uh, with some, it was not considered a mistake apparently. But, like, wait a second, we can't do this. This is essentially like declaring war states in Canada. Like, don't overfly my airspace. What, what is this, you know? TSA doesn't make mistakes. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it wasn't a mistake then. There was another question there, and I just went characteristically blank. Uh, go ahead. Oh, Nav Canada. Yes. Let's hear a little bit about... Flying in a country that has a, uh, a, a quasi-public-private air traffic control system that's user-fee-funded, because that's been a big debate down here. And, um, and we're also interested in the extent to which GA has some say in how that is run versus the airlines having their say. That got, when NAV went uh, private, they were not for profit, uh, but it went private almost 20 years ago, uh, and it's working. To us, it's working pretty good. Uh, we're happy with the service we're getting right now. Um, the airlines do have a say, but I will be polite and say that Nav Canada, they listen to all of us. It is part part of their um, constituent letters, constituent, how do you say that? Constituency. Constituency. That they need to listen to everyone and even GA and provide the same service. So they haven't gone down. I. I would, the perception is not that they've gone down on their service, but it is a best equipped, best, best served environment. So they're serving us fairly good if we're, we've got the right equipment to go into different areas and different zones. But um, this being said, they do listen to us. I myself, I have a seat, COPA has a seat on the NAV Canada Advisory Committee, uh, along with the airlines, with the unions, with their own people. So we do have a seat there and we are listened to just like one of the other people. Though we're just a drop in the ocean of the money that they're collecting, uh, we are listened to, I will say that. And we get, I, I did meet with some of the U.S. folks that were up in Canada too, and I think they also went to Australia and different other places to interview how, do, how we felt about the services. And we were generally happy. It's costing us $67 a year. Uh, we get all the weather we need, call up, you can have a 30-minute weather briefing if you wanted to, and all the services, even IFR, whatnot, we, we get these services, we're fairly happy with them. Whether we put this through, we get we pay them through taxes or uh, excise tax on fuel or some other fi fi um, form of subsidy, 
67 we find is not that expensive for all the services we get. So is there anything you haven't seen that you want to see before you go fishing? <laughs> well, the, uh, it will be cool because I'm going in Ungava Bay, which is near Kujwak in northern Quebec. So it's, it's going to be polar bears, a few polar bears there. But do, do I want to see anything? Uh, I'd like to see... Uh, well, I think there will be the night show. Wednesday, I will be attending and seeing the show, and that's all. I was here last year, as I said, and it was just it was, that was amazing. This is really out of this world. fireworks from the tips of the wings there. Right, just, you, yeah. it seems wrong. It seems wrong. Yeah, right. We, we, we often talk about the, the, the reaction the the pilot got when he first walked into the FAA office. I want to fly an airplane at night with fireworks coming off the wings. Yes. Yeah. Right. Sure where, you do. Uh, the fuel cells will be where? Uh, where? <laughs> okay. No, I want to see that again. That's just, again, uh, it blows my mind. So, Bernard, it's, it's been a treat having you on. It's great to hear another perspective on these issues, and uh, we wish you well uh, and appreciate a copy of the magazine. Uh, yep, hope you keep continuing to have the good success that you have up there and, and keeping the wolves at bay for the Canadian pilots. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, Bernard. We'll, we'll do it again sometime. Bernard, it's great to meet you, and thanks for spending your time with us and uh, getting our listeners up to speed on uh, what's going on in Canadian aviation. I think they uh, they appreciate it. I, sir, I know I do. Thank you. I hope you'll join. We'll be here on Thursday. I'm leaving on Thursday, Thursday morning. So No, I, I'd like to be at the... Uh, Right down party. Yeah, with the lining kugels, and uh, is that what you're having there also? Yeah. Well, who knows? We haven't done the shopping yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> For those listeners who might hear this in time, the you know, UCAP Uncontrolled Airspace uh, tie-down party, an annual favorite event here at Oshkosh, will be Thursday night at 6 o'clock on the northwest corner of the field at the Super 8 Motel just outside the gate from the North 40. If you do get this message before Thursday night, please join us. This is Pilot Jim G saying thank you for listening to episode 409 Charlie of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow.